Mental toughness is a phrase that can trigger some unflattering business stereotypes in your head. But today's guest claims it's a skill that every executive manager and entrepreneur really needs. Her name is Lorraine Coy, and in a minute, we'll find out what in the world she's talking about. She's a respected and trusted business advisor, an Ivy League business expert, best-selling author, and no-nonsense lawyer. She's Hannah Hassel-Kelchner. Whether you're an entrepreneur or an intrapreneur working for someone else, I want to give you the inside scoop on how to ignite more business success by doing the right things in the right way. Because no one likes getting blindsided by what you don't know but somehow should or getting stuck paying for it later. Think of it as a mini MBA and school of hard knocks wrapped in one and on steroids. This is Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hassel-Kelchner. Brought to you by Business MO LLC. Lorraine Coy is a former FBI undercover and counterintelligence agent. If you're a fan of the TV hit show Quantico, please know that Lorraine attended training at the real FBI Academy in Quantico, Virginia. It's no cakewalk. It's a culture that values physical strength, and as a woman, all eyes were on her to see if she could handle it. It was a hostile environment that at times openly questioned her qualifications to become an FBI agent, even though she had scored exceptionally high on cognitive and personality tests. Just as steel is forged under great heat, the experience at Quantico galvanized Lorraine's determination to succeed, and succeed she did. She developed the mental toughness necessary to identify foreign spies and recruit them to work for the U.S. government. That's right. She got those foreign spies to flip and change sides. To do that successfully meant she had to learn how to survive in an environment of tremendous personal risk, uncertainty, and deception while doing her James Bond work. She says her 24-year career at the FBI led her to believe that most barriers to personal success are internal. And lucky for us, she's authored two books about that to help us mere mortals. One is called Secrets of a Strong Mind, and the other book is called Mental Toughness for Women Leaders, 52 Tips to Recognize and Utilize Your Greatest Strengths. I can't wait to learn more, and I'm thrilled to have her with us today. Welcome to Business Confidential Now, Lorraine. Thank you so much, Hannah. I'm just really thrilled to be able to spend some time with you and your uh, and your listeners. Well, this is just fabulous. I mean, you've had quite a journey, and I'm dying to know more about your experiences undercover. But before we do that, I mentioned earlier in the introduction that the phrase mental toughness can conjure up some unflattering images for some people, like rough and tough, maybe crusty or rude, and even bullying, maybe. So let's start with what you mean by mental toughness. What is it? Well, you know, you're right, Hannah. A lot of people do assume that being mentally tough is just bulldozing your way through obstacles in front of you. And that might work in football, but not in business and life. And basically, I define mental toughness as believing that you can overcome your circumstances rather than believing your circumstances will change. Um, so instead of looking for a, a you know, for something to change in in your situation, you simply have the mental toughness or the grit to figure out how to keep moving forward despite those obstacles, because they are not going to defeat you. You are going to continue forward. 
So how does mental toughness compare to, say, resilience? Well, mental toughness, uh, I, I will say this. There's a couple of components. Well, actually, there's four components to mental toughness. One is emotional competency. And people are kind of thrown aside when I say that. But to be mentally tough, you have to be self-aware. You simply have to know your limits and you have to know how to work beyond those limits or how to push yourself beyond those self-limiting beliefs. So emotional competency is is one component of uh mental toughness. Resilience is another component of mental toughness. And resilience is just the ability to take responsibility. No whining or blaming others. It's bouncing back and bouncing through uh, whatever is, is in your in that obstacle. We all face obstacles. It's just how we get around them. The third component of mental toughness is willpower. It's just that focus, that determination and persistence that will get you to where you want to be. And the fourth component of mental toughness is attitude. It's the mindset that uh, you can do what you need to do. It's having the attitude that you can be a learner, that you can become smarter. Uh, It's the attitude of being a positive thinker. And I make a big difference. Uh, I feel there is a big difference between being an optimist and a positive thinker. So those four uh, components are are what make up mental toughness. It's it's emotional competency, resistance, willpower, and attitude. Yes. What what do you want to, yeah. I want to explore that that difference between um, the the last two things that you talked about, the mental competence, the... The the uh, optimism and being, the difference between being optimist and a positive thinker? Yes, exactly. Yes. Yeah, and now there's a huge difference. Um, and I, I think the best, I'm going to just give you an illustration. And this is a, a, a James Stock, uh, Stockdale, he, uh, Admiral James Stockdale. He was a prisoner in Vietnam for seven years. And he was tortured throughout those seven years. Um, and when he was rescued, uh, he, they, I mean, the people, people asked him, how did you make it? And he said, well, he said, I, my, my comrades and I, we were positive thinkers. And um, when he was asked the difference, he said, well, I tell you something, we were, I mean, the optimists were there and they would say, you know, keep your spirits up, keep going, Christmas will we'll be out by Christmas. Christmas would come and go and they'd still be there. And the optimists would say, okay, you know, keep your spirits up by Easter, we'll be out. And Easter would come and go. And he said, you know what, the optimists just died of a broken heart. They could, didn't survive, but the positive thinkers were those were those people who said, okay, I'm missing an arm, but I'm grateful for my legs. I'm missing uh, a leg, but I'm grateful for my arms. There's, there's life in the dinner. I'm grateful for the protein. It was just the attitude of, of accepting where they were and believing that they could survive despite their circumstances, they weren't waiting for their circumstances to change like the optimists because optimists do believe their circumstances will change. That's sort of the, the you know, one of the, the pillars, but not, not a positive thinker. The positive thinker looks for gratitude in wherever they are, accepting circumstances as they are, but no whining about it, no complaining, being finding the, 
ways to be grateful for where they are in life. And that is the difference between a positive thinker and an optimist. Now, is that something that can be learned? Oh, absolutely. Mental toughness can be learned. It's not something you're born with. It's something that you, you, we start learning as children. And, and parents out there, if they're listening, uh, if you, you need to start early trained, training your kids to be mentally tough. And because this whole sense of coddling them and, and, and keeping, protecting them and creating this sense of entitlement because of who they are or where they live is not helping anyone, particularly them, as they make it out into life because obstacles are just going to show up. That's what happens. That's just life and business. So learning how to deal with obstacles and roadblocks early in life will only prepare you to learn uh, how to deal with them later in life. But as far as being able to be a positive thinker, it comes down to one very simple emotion, and this is probably the single most important and strongest emotion we can have, and that is gratitude. It is being grateful for whatever is going on in our life. And if life has dealt you a great hand, there's a lot of things. There are many things to be grateful for. If things aren't so great for you right now, you may have to look a little harder to find the, the, the positive in, in, in your world right now. And a lot of research has been done on this. There's a woman named Barbara Fredrickson, uh, who is a uh, social psychologist, I believe. And she originally wrote a book and she indicated, she thought, you know, her research had indicated that you need about three positive thoughts to overcome each one negative thought. But actually, her research has expanded. Now she realizes, and other researchers have confirmed this, that you need five positive thoughts to overcome each one negative. And sometimes when life is tough, it's very hard to find five positive things to be grateful for to to counter that one negative thought. But the thing is, this is our, our survival instinct, and it's why negative thoughts, well, all of us have a bias toward negativity. And that comes from the limbic brain system. It's, it's survival. It's, it's, you know, for years, this, this, we pay more attention to negative things because those are the things that are a threat to our survival. I mean, for years, we, we, we wanted, since the caveman days, we have had to work hard to get lunch, not be lunch back in those days, right? And so, so we're wired to pay more attention to negative information that comes our way. But in this day and age, not everything that's negative is a threat to our survival. So yes, pay attention to the negative, but look for the positive. And that makes all the difference. Well, I can see that. You know, I think everybody engages in some of that negative self-talk. I mean, we wouldn't talk to our best friend that way, but our little voices inside, I call it my evil twin. I tell her to get out every once in a while. But yes. um, you, you beat yourself up. In, in your work since you've left the uh, FBI, is training people and teaching them to have more mental toughness something that you do? Oh, yes, uh, I do. And I, I love it. Because it's something I believe in. It's, it's, it's become central to who I am. And yes, I talk, I write, and, uh, and, and actually I love to write. And most of my work is centered on uh, around writing, writing books, or um, online training and corporate training. So if someone wanted to 
build their inner strength and mental toughness, what would the process look like? Where would they begin? I always start off with uh, emotional competency. And some people may call it emotional intelligence or emotional awareness. But I got to tell you, self-awareness. It's not some touchy-feely kind of um, process. It is, it is serious because unless you, unless you know yourself, you, unless you know how you are going to react, unless you can predict your reactions, you're not going to always land on your feet when you're confronted with the unknown. I mean, for as an FBI agent, that, there was one thing that you absolutely needed to do when you confronted and you made an arrest or you're chasing a terrorist or you're working uh, to recruit a spy is that you absolutely need to come out on the winning side. There's no, there's not, you can't equivocate on that. So um, you need to know how and be able to predict your response in any situation, I mean, if you have to pull your gun, you're in an interview, you're in a confrontational situation, you have to be able to predict your reaction so you know, you absolutely know you can land on your feet when, when you're confronted with the unknown. And as and businesses, uh, entrepreneurs, startups, uh, leaders, uh, same thing gives. I mean, you, you need to know, if you want to be successful, you can't be um, sabotaged by, your, by yourself, I mean, you know, I think that, that unfortunately, sometimes we're, we are our own worst enemy. So self-awareness is absolutely the place to start, uh, to be mentally tough. Well, that makes a lot of sense. But, you know, sometimes you wind up in these, well, certainly not like in your FBI experience, but in business, there could certainly be career-ending moments if you're not careful. How do you stay cool under pressure? Do you have two or three tips you could share with us? Yes, I do. Um, it's, it's very important um, to know where your, your buttons are, you know, to know what pushes your buttons. Uh, again, the self-awareness. But my, my, my recommendation to people is don't wait until it happens, uh, put yourself in situations where you are you are faced with the unknown. What happens so many times is we 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 play it safe, and 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 I see why. I mean, who wants to be put in a situation where uh, failure is is a uh, is, is a is a potential outcome? But if you really want to inure um, yourself to your own reactions and your own hot button issues. Put yourself in situations where you are in over your head. And, and that may not be what anybody wants to do, but believe me, when you put yourself in situations, I say everybody should have a Petri dish. And that is, you know, these little areas where you're not the most competent, you're not the most skilled. And so you become very aware very quickly of where those hot button po points are because when you're put in a situation where you're not sure and, and you're uncertain and there's risk and there's fear, um, all, all of our worst character characteristics come out. And it's better to understand them and to deal with them in a controlled environment that you have chosen rather than in a board meeting or in front of employees or in front of a board of directors or, you know, your, your boss or your colleagues. That's not necessarily the best learning environment. So the first thing I encourage people to do is uh, try something new. 
put yourself in a situation where that petri dish, where it's new, it's untested, you don't know if it's going to work or not, you're a little in over your head, that is how you're going to learn about yourself the fastest and the best. That's really putting yourself out there, though. And I could see where some people are like, mm, I don't know, I want to stay in my comfort zone. That's really cozy in here. Oh, well, the thing was a comfort zone. Oh, it absolutely is. But I got to tell you, comfort zones lead to complacency. And I mean, the only difference between a coffin and a rut are the dimensions. Ooh. So it's really your choice. It's your choice. To everybody who's listening, it's your choice of whether or not you want to stay in that comfort zone, and which leads to complacency, and you know it or whether or not you want to keep pushing the limits. Now, you know what? If you're not interested in pushing those limits and taking it to the next level, then you, maybe you don't need to be, mental tough, be mentally tough. But if you are interested in taking it to the next level, in business or in life, then yeah, you are going to have to push those limits. Interesting. Very interesting. Now, one of the titles of your book is Mental Toughness for Women Leaders, 52 Tips to Recognize and Utilize Your Greatest Strengths. Do you think that women need mental toughness more than men? No, I don't. I think uh, both, both men and women need it equally. The reason I wrote it for women leaders is because sometimes I think women have an easier time hearing it from another woman. Both men and women need to be mentally tough. I do believe that a lot of women, unfortunately, don't have them, I would say, mentors or coaches to really help them uh, claim their, their strength. Unfortunately, I also believe that men also are taught, either through culture or, or just growing up, that to be, to be a guy is to be tough. You know, that mental toughness we're talking about that you started this whole interview out with. The whole idea, <clears throat> excuse me, mental toughness being the whole idea that it means bulldozing your way through. Like, and that does work in football, and maybe guys think that that's what it's about. But mental toughness, really, <clears throat> when you think about the emotional competency and emotional intelligence, women have a, have a better handle on that a lot of times. And what they do is they forfeit. They forfeit that advantage when they get into business because they think, oh, that's a soft skill. And that's not what being tough is all about. It's about, you know, walking in with square shoulders and, and, and pushing and being pushy and ballsy. But that's not necessarily what mental toughness is. It's being able to manage in relationships. It's being able to communicate both verbally and nonverbally. And they throw that out. Women sometimes throw out that advantage because they think that that's not, that's not going to help them or it's not being tough, but it, it actually is. And there's no science out there to indicate that there's really any difference in the way men and women think. Our brain is a brain. There are a few differences. And one of them is that men, when confronted with a, a situation or a problem, especially when it comes to risk, they t tend to look at long-term. And women... And they've been able to prove this through brain studies. Women are easier uh, at, at re recognizing changes in the environment. And so they change their, they're, they're more amenable to changes as they come along. Whereas men, because of where they, where they think from the cortex, stay focused on long term. So when, when new information comes along, 
they, they, they don't pay as much attention to it and they stay focused on long-term goals. Women will change those long-term goals more quickly because they assimilate, they pick up the changes in the environment around them, the new information, they assimilate that quicker. And so they look at risk a little differently. They modify it quicker than men will. But as far as actual differences between men and women, there aren't that many in the, in the way the brain functions. Right, right. Well, this is really interesting because it, if I'm understanding you correctly, it sounds like a whole palette of soft skills actually helps navigate risk, uncertainty, and so forth, and in combination are really mental toughness. That's exactly right. You can't be mentally tough unless you have a, a, a command of those soft skills. And a lot of it has to do with verbal and nonverbal communication, the way we come across. And this is something I do think women, unfortunately, again, uh, sell themselves short. And it's, it's the nonverbal. Uh, it's coming across. And it's so important, our nonverbal. The way we communicate with people nonverbally is, is, is even more important than what we say. And that's interesting since we're on a, you know, a radio uh, here. But the way when you think about a person who is successful, they walk fast. Because, and when they do, they are telling you and everybody else that they, are, they have important things to do. They're not strolling. They are walking with purpose. And that it sends an automatic message. Shoulders back, head up. It sends a message. And it's powerful. And those are the kinds of tips that we all, that, that both men and women need to, to take seriously because it will impact the way they are perceived. It's all about communication. You know, uh, coming from my legal background, it's ironic that when you talk about communication and like putting things in writing, not having those visual cues, not having the inflection of somebody's voice can so often lead to documents being misinterpreted and turning into smoking guns in a lawsuit. And people don't realize that. And they're so casual in the way they write and correspond, and it comes back to bite them. So it's really interesting about, you know, needing to stay aware of all of these components of how we present ourselves. It's, it's essential. I learned this from, I mean, just an interview. So I'm a female and when I would interview people, I'd say, okay, I'm the, from the FBI, and I had to take command of the interview from the get-go, from the first telephone conversation to, you know, the wrap-up. And a lot of the guys I worked with were not as successful as I was for, this, for, for one very simple reason. They were guys. You know what I mean? And they got on the phone and they used a very authoritative voice and they were in command and they wanted you to know it. But you know what? That's not how you talk to people when you, when you want information. Now, extortion doesn't work in an interview. I mean, it does on TV. So, you know, in TV, they interview people and it's like, well, you either cooperate with me or this is what's going to happen. And, and there are certain cases where that is true true, where you either cooperate or you're going to get thrown in jail or whatever. But by and large, to get people to cooperate with you, you have to develop a rapport with them. You have to develop some kind of relationship with them. I mean, it's essential. In any, any career you choose, the, way, the, the ability to develop a relationship 
with the person in front of you is essential. And it's not about walking in with, you know, being tougher than anybody else. It's being able to read that room. And so if you've got some guy over here that's got a a problem with women, you've got to find out what that is and address it. Or if you have somebody over here that's very timid, is full of great ideas, but is just intimidated so easily that they really don't communicate what's inside, you need to pull that out. So there's no one size fits all. And just being savvy enough, being smart enough to be able to read other people is a tremendous key to success. Again, it's part of that emotional competence. And it's, it's shocking how few people are that competent. They just don't take the time to look at other people and, and try to get inside them and understand what makes them tick. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, as I'm hearing you speak and talking about the, the emotional competencies and, and these other components of mental toughness and uh, your Petri dish idea of, you know, sort of yeah. pushing your boundaries and testing yourself. I mean, it, it, to me, it's like going to the gym. You know, you're, you're constantly working that mental toughness muscle and building it up and strengthening it, right? Oh, there's, there's, you never, it's exactly right. You never let down. I, you know, I'm going to t- say uh, I, one of the most important, or I think for me, uh, I, I, it was very enlightening. I was doing some research because I'm, I'm like everybody else. I don't want to put myself in a situation where I'm going to fail. I am what you call an overachiever, right? And so I'm very careful about the risks I take. But I was uh, in the, uh, the, uh, the, special agent in charge of the San Francisco office came to me and said, I'd like for you to be the spokesperson for the FBI in Northern California. And I said, I can't do that. I'm not a good public speaker. And uh, he, he said, oh, that's, that's too bad. I, I think that would be, you know, and uh, I think you really need to think about that. And I, and I did. And I realized I, I went back to why I thought I was a bad public speaker. It all came to this incident when I was in high school and I was trying to give a talk. I stood up and my mind went blank. I, 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 it was horrible. I just could not remember what I was supposed to say and I spaced out in front of this entire group. And it was a self-limiting belief about what I could or could not do. And again, so I had a choice, right? I could stay in my comfort zone because I, I knew I was an agent, I was doing, and I knew how to do what my job, or I could step out of this rut I had got myself into and try something new. And I was scared to death, but I did. I said, yes. I mean, it was a brand new job. I knew nothing about it. I had to start from the bottom. But it was a wonderful experience because it expanded my understanding of who I was. In, in doing a little research about this, I, I want to say this to your listeners, when you have doubts about your abilities, and you have self-limiting beliefs about what you can do, never rely on your memory to give you 100% accuracy. There is a psychologist, his name is uh, Charles Bartlett. and I think he was a psychologist, actually. And he proved that our memory is not always reliable. Instead, we extract sort of the gist of an experience, and we store it in ways that makes the, that makes the most sense to us. And that's why people who see the same event will have different memory of that event. So, uh, and, and in the 60s, people suggested to, uh, that in the 1960s, we learned a lot about how people are biased 
about uh, confirming our existing beliefs. And we all know that. But our brain has a built-in confirmation bias. And that means it only stores information that is consistent with our own beliefs, values, and self-image. So, for example, if you have low self-esteem, your brain tends to store information which confirms your lack of confidence. And that's all you'll remember about a specific event. And that's what happened to me when I was in high school. So every time you try something new, we're, we push past those self-limiting beliefs. And uh, it's important because otherwise you, you're living with this memory that may not actually be accurate. Understood. You know, the, the whole thing about cognitive biases and how they affect decision-making is a whole, whole fascinating subject we could spend hours talking about. You know, We I, could. <laughs> for sure, for sure. You know, and the thing is, I, I hear what you're saying about confidence. That's all well and good and, and building confidence. But, you know, people can also get in trouble if they're overconfident at the wrong time. Sometimes a brick wall is a brick wall, and try as you might, you will not get your head through that. You've got to find a door. And so how do you suggest people recognize when they're bumping up against that, that line between, you know, this is what's doable, and no, you've got to find another way? Well, being able to attack a problem from multiple points of view is essential. And I, I look at problems I, uh, as, as a case, like, a, like an FBI investigation. You, you get a case and put it in front of you, uh, and you may have an idea of how to solve it. When you get, you follow that path, and it takes you nowhere. Well, only an idiot will stick to that same path and keep beating on that same door. You give that up, and you move to the next you move to another path. And it's like a, a 360-degree circle. You keep circling it until you find that soft underbelly. And in the process, the original goal may have shifted slightly. For example, when I was um, in college, actually I, was, I had my, my first career, uh, job and I, I wanted to do something different. And I, I, I just thought, I really, I know what I want to do with my life. I wanted to go into the foreign service because I want to travel. That's what I really wanted to do. And I was so, I took all the tests and I did so well and I just knew that this was going to happen. And then I took the, um, I took the, um, you have to learn foreign languages if you're going to be a foreign service employee, right? I took the language aptitude test and I just failed it miserably. Oh my gosh. I had like zero amount of aptitude for foreign language. And I'm going, Oh, my God, my dreams, right there, my dream just went out the door. There was no way I was going to get hired. And I sat there, and so I, I had to kind of reevaluate. Okay, so that was a door that clearly closed, and I had to let it go. And I sat and thought a long time and thinking, okay, what is it that I really want to do? Is it really the Foreign Service? Was that just a goal? What was the vision? The vision was to do something different. The vision was to travel in my job and to have a job that was exciting and challenging. And I, I let that foreign service just sort of cloud everything else. And when that was obvious that wasn't going to happen, I had to reevaluate. And so I knew what my vision was. It was still this job. And I thought, wait a minute, there are other government jobs out there that will give me the same thing. And so I turned from that to the FBI. And that door opened widely. So you're right. You, if, if, if the door closes, don't be stupid. I mean, you have to like look at that and say, okay, I need to pull back and get a different perspective on this. So this is not going to happen for me. 
But that doesn't mean that that vision for what I want for my life or or my business or whatever isn't still out there. It doesn't look like I originally thought it was going to look like, but I don't give up and just stay in this rut that I've created for myself. Very good. And, you know, it's so true that startups and small businesses, entrepreneurs are constantly encountering those things. They expect their product or service to be ideal for a particular market. And that's what they target. And turns out that market doesn't care. But guess what? There's another one in their backyard over here they didn't think of that loves what they have. So being open to opportunities and recognizing the need to change and to pivot and all those good things is what it's all about. And I can see where mental toughness, having the determination and the persistence to just say, nope, you know, there's got to be another way, a better way. I just haven't found it yet. You know, like Einstein says, I just, uh, or no, it was Edison who said, I just found what, 10,000 ways that it didn't work, but I, I'm mm-hmm. getting close. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you're, you're right. And that's where, that's where we, we haven't talked about willpower and we haven't talked about resilience as being so important in mental toughness. But uh, Calvin Coolidge, and I have this memorized, he said, and I love this, uh, he said, nothing in the world can take the place of persistence. Talent will not. Nothing is more common than unsuccessful men with talent. Genius will not. Unrewarded genius is almost a proverb. Education will not. The world is full of educated derelicts. Persistence (laughs) and determination alone are omnipotent. That's from Calvin Coolidge. I wish I had said that. And I've memorized it because it's, it gets to the point of what we're talking about. You, you can't be stupid about some of this stuff. And if it's not working for you, you've got to find a, a way around it or, or, or be flexible enough that you can find a way to keep moving forward. Again, I'm, it comes back to self-awareness. Because you have to know yourself well enough to know what really is important to you. Do I have time for a story? Sure. I can, we're we're I can get winding you. down, but definitely go for it. So in the FBI Academy, I had a really tough time with the physical fitness part. And so we were doing push-ups. I had to do like 50 push-ups. And my coach knew that I had a tough time. And so he stood there and he counted my push-ups. And he wouldn't count about half of them. And I knew the whole time I was not going to make it. And sure enough, I didn't pass that one, that physical fitness test by one point. And I had a real crisis moment here because I was very close to being flushed out of the academy. Very close. And I, and I, I had to like dig really deep and ask myself this, this very simple question. What did I want? What did I truly, truly want? That failure was the best thing that ever happened to me. It was the most important failure of my life because it made me come to terms with what I really wanted to do with my life. And I really wanted to be an FBI agent. And I knew then I would have to dig deeper than I'd ever dug in my life to make this happen. And, but I'm just saying, if you aren't following something that has that gives you value and meaning, then you will just give up when stuff gets too hard. And you'll just keep going until you finally succeed at something. And then that's where you'll stay because everybody wants success, right? Well, it doesn't, but it doesn't matter. Is that really the place that brings you value and meaning? Maybe, maybe not. But that's where you'll stay because you're too afraid to move on to, to do something that you really want to do in life. So those experiences help give you a laser focus, and that focus is what helps you succeed. Well, if you've got to know yourself well enough to know, when you are pursuing something that is truly important to you, you will be persistent. You will be determined. 
you will have the willpower to keep moving forward. That, and, and if you don't have that, then when you come up against a failure, it's just too easy to throw up your arms and say, okay, well, I'll try something else. And you do. And most people stay in success not because they're truly successful, but simply because they're too lazy or, and too, it, too comfortable in their little world to get out there and pursue what really is important to them. So are they happy? I don't know. That, that's the question we all have to ask ourselves. Are you pursuing something that truly gives you value and meaning? Good point. And to, do, point. That, to do that, you need, you need to be mentally tough. You need to be very aware and, and also willing and having the courage to make the changes necessary to make that happen. And that's where fear kicks in. So, Lorraine, you, you have a fascinating career, and this has just been terrific. If someone wanted to get in touch with you and learn more about your programs or have you come speak to their organization, what would be the best way to do that? Go to my website, LorraeQuai.com. It's my name, L-A-R-A-E. My last name is spelled Q-U-Y.com. And you can get in contact with me there. I'm on Twitter, on LinkedIn, and I'm on Facebook. So feel free to, to reach out. I would love to hear from people. And I do have a free mental toughness assessment on my website. And it's a 45-question uh, assessment meant to sort of help people get a better idea of whether or not they are mentally tough. Well, that sounds awesome. People can at least have a, a quick look at where they are and where maybe they'd like to go with your help. So exactly. we, we will have those links as well as links to your two books on the episode page at businessconfidentialradio.com. So... Our listeners can get it in multiple places, can reach out to you and learn more about this fascinating subject and help themselves be more fulfilled and happier. So, Lorraine, this has really been fantastic. I am so grateful for your time and the wonderful tips you've shared. It's been a treat. Thanks again. Thank you. I've enjoyed it. Giving you the inside scoop on how to ignite more business success by doing the right things in the right way. Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hassel-Keltner. Brought to you by Business MO LLC. Thank you for joining me today on Business Confidential Now. You can get more information about today's guest and the resources we mentioned during today's show in the episode notes that are located on our website, businessconfidentialradio.com. Sometimes we even include some bonuses and goodies, so be sure to check it out. That website, again, is businessconfidentialradio.com. And also don't forget to subscribe to the show. That is the easiest way to keep up with the show and our guests, those thought leaders, experts, and authors who are transforming businesses behind closed doors around the world. Let them help you, too. Subscribe today for easy access to the business information you need to succeed. You know, the reason we call the show Business Confidential Now is because you don't have time to wait. So just do it. Subscribe now and leave a review. We want to hear from you. We want you to be part of our growing Business Confidential Now family. Tell your friends and colleagues so they can subscribe too. Because the more subscribers we have, the more great guests we can bring you. And the more business intelligence you'll have available to ignite and fuel your continued business success. Have an idea or a topic, a guest that you'd like to hear on Business Confidential Now? contact me at the website businessconfidentialradio.com and connect with me on social media too. We'd love to hear from you and stay in touch. Next week, Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hazel-Kelchner will be back 
with more of the business intelligence and inside scoop you need to succeed. Till then.